Welcome to the Good Theological Thursday podcast, where we have open conversations about theology and culture. My name is James Crockett. And I am Dre Clark, and we are glad to have you join in our conversation today. We hope that this podcast helps you as you think about your life and God and how they fit together. And a good Theological Thursday to all of you. Happy Easter week. Uh, we are hope we hope you are continuing to do well during our coronavirus lockdown. Uh, we have a special show uh, today, really centered on uh, discussions about Jesus' death and resurrection, and um, uh, maybe some issue theological issues that have come up, questions that have come up. Uh, we're going to be talking about everything from. Uh, I think a big part of the discussion today actually is going to be on. What happened to Jesus during his resur- uh, between his death and resurrection, right? Uh, so, a uh, question that maybe many people haven't discussed, or there's assumptions been made, and uh, maybe those assumptions aren't really based in fact. Uh, but that's kind of what we're going to be discussing today. So, Dre should be an interesting conversation. Absolutely, yeah, I'm real excited for it. Um, and so I think I think it's uh, fitting, and I think that uh, even me and James, we actually I think this is probably the first podcast, James, that we more or less like talked about before we recorded. I don't know if we've mm-hmm. ever done that before. We have like sat down and said, "Okay, so wait, what, how, what do we actually believe on this?" Because it's such a it's a good issue, but it's such a kind of fringe issue. And so mm-hmm. I don't think either one of us have really just really gone into the weeds of the of, of it before you know other than just in passing yeah. and so you you probably a little bit more in some of your uh dissertation work than, than me and i just have notes on them that i as we kind of went yeah. through them so so excited yeah. about it though good stuff yeah a little peel by behind the onion as trey said for everyone i think we've already been talking like an hour about <laughs> yeah we're, we're supposed so. to start recording at 10 and now it's already 11 yeah so yeah so um but before we get into that, let's move into our uh, weekly recommendations. Dre, do you want to kick us off? Yes. Um, so my weekly recommendation is a book I just picked up. Um, I got it on Logos. It was on sale, and uh, um, but I'm sure you can get it in paperback. Um, but it's called The Bible Unfiltered, Approaching Scripture with Its Own Terms. And so this is by Michael Heiser. Um, and Michael is, uh, I think we've maybe referenced him before, um, but you know, he, mm-hmm. he does a lot of, a lot of work in angelology, demonology, kind of, uh, you know, cosmic kind of entity kind of thing. That's like his, his area in, in new Testament. Um, but really good scholar. And, um, but I, I really like this book. It's really easy to read. Um, the chapters are really, really short. I, I have the digital version, but you know, I'm pretty sure they're like three page chapters. Um, but they're just, they're just really packed with great quotes. And so, um, he starts off the whole thing by saying that, um, Bible study is not for sissies, you know, and this kind of corrects, <laughs> corrects a lot of our, our assumptions of, of what it means to actually read scripture. And so one of the quotes says, he says, if Bible study doesn't seem like work to you, you aren't really doing it. Um, and he mm. talks about the difference between just reading the Bible and actually studying the Bible. Um, so anyways, just a really, really good work. And so I really recommend it. Uh, for anybody that's just uh, wanting to kind of get into bibliology, just kind of understanding of what is scripture reading. And maybe if you found yourself, um, you know, not being challenged enough or not really understanding what it means to read the Bible, or you have people your whole life telling you, go to the Bible, go read the Bible. Uh, and you don't really know what that means or where to start this mm-hmm. book. Uh, it's a really good book. So that's my recommendation. Yeah. Um, so I am going to recommend, uh, Another thing by Michael Heiser, uh, actually a podcast uh, that 
recently discovered. And by recently, I heard of it a couple days ago and was looking through it today. <laughs> and um, But I do know Michael Heiser. I've, I'm familiar with some of his work. Uh, as you said, Dre, I think, we, we, uh, I think I've recommended him before on the podcast uh, for his book, The Unseen Realm. Um, but, uh, this is called the naked Bible podcast. It's with Michael Heiser. And, uh, if you just kind of look through all the episodes, I mean, he's got everything from just, uh, multiple episodes walking through Exodus to discussing issues. I think some of his most recent ones are divorce and remarriage in the old Testament and the new Testament, uh, talking to other scholars and, I think one of the things I really like about Michael Heiser is he's a great scholar. Um, I think he's also trying to uh, step outside just the academic world and help people in the church read the Bible well. I think that's even even the book you recommended, Dre. I mean, I think that's part of the point of why he would write that. And I, and I love that he's not afraid to bring up concepts um, that might be difficult because we haven't ever heard them. Um, but they are scriptural things and to really challenge some of our assumptions um, in scripture. And so um, so I know this is a season where, again, I think just list, uh, reading books and listening to podcasts, it's, it's a season where you can uh, do those sorts of things. So um, so it's called the Naked Bible Podcast uh, by Michael Heiser. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out and I would encourage you to do the same. Yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of just to piggyback on that, I, I, I had that podcast, I'd subscribe to it and listen to a few episodes and I didn't even realize because it was probably before I ever heard Michael Heiser's voice in real life and I just wasn't make, connecting the dots. And so I've listened to a couple of them. It's probably about two years ago now, last time I listened to that podcast, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. So I think it's really good. And I do, I, I like what he's doing. I think, I don't agree with him on everything, of course, but I think that yeah. he, I think that he, uh, he's making a good effort to make content accessible and really mm-hmm. try to, I think James, you said it really well earlier before we started recording that he's doing a good job of trying to bridge the academic world to the, um, you know, the church world or to the world that we all kind of live in. And so, um, you yeah. know, he has, he has a documentary coming out on faith life at the end of this month, actually, um, about demons and, and, um, and just some of these things that we, you know, we either really avoid or we kind of explain away that are, that are crucial parts of, of the biblical writer's worldview. Um, you know, you went yeah. to, you would go to a biblical writer and you ask about angels or demons or miracles and things like that. I mean, it was, it was a big part of it. And I think in our modernistic world, we, we just tend to ignore those or we tend to write them yeah. off as, um, you know, other things. And so, yeah. um, or no matter we, which, or, yeah. we, or we even tend to project our own worldview onto a text. Um, and we mm-hmm. read it through the lens of our worldview rather than actually trying to as he would say, to dig deep and to figure out what is the worldview of the author um, and how is he, you know, what, how do we interpret it through his lens? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So those are our recommendations. Uh, Michael Heiser, go check out that guy. If you don't know who he is um, and you'll be benefited, but you'll be benefited. Mm-hmm. Is that a word benefited? You'll you will get um, the benefit. Yeah, you will receive benefits. You, you will receive <laughs> the benefit. You will reap the benefits. You will that? reap benefits. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness, uh, my coffee is is like it's still there, but it's going away now. So we've been talking for too long. <laughs> All right, let's jump yeah. into today's episode. Uh, Easter questions. Uh, James, where did Jesus go after his death and before his resurrection? Um, you know, did, where where did he go? The Apostles' Creed has a comment on that, and and uh, so what are your thoughts? Let's just jump right in. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Um, 
I think there are assumptions on this, and and it's not they don't the assumption doesn't come from nowhere. In other words, like it's not like people assume this, and it's not like and but no one's argued for it. Um, there is a thought, and I think I hear a lot of Christians just assume this. I've heard people teach it. I've heard, um, ironically, you know, last week we talked about Rhett and Link and um, their podcast, and they even said in their podcast that the Christian view is that Jesus went to hell um, between his death and resurrection. And of course, I heard that, and all of a sudden, right away, I gave pause because I'm like, ah, that's not actually like the view of everybody right that, that that's not like a doctrine that's firm and you know whatever so uh, there's a lot of people who would assume that jesus went to hell um during those during those three days um hmm. at some point at least during the three days and you know you've heard everything from you know he went to hell and he took the keys of hell and death from satan which again you know, I would challenge you to find that anywhere uh, in the scripture where it says that. Um, and so some of that, a lot of that is, I would argue a lot of that is assumed. Um, I would argue maybe there, there is a, there is, I would also say there is an argument for it. But I would also say that most people just kind of assume that that is what happened without really digging deep into the scriptures and challenging why, why do they actually think that. So that's kind of what... I really, I think what we really want to do um, today with that question. Yeah. And, and I do, I, I think I want to be a little bit more careful. I mean, not that you, you weren't careful with it too, but the the main the main reason why this, I would say is actually probably more believed so than not, is because of the Apostles' Creed. Um, and so a lot, a lot of churches are creedal churches and I don't, I don't, I mean, actually I would say almost every church is creedal churches, depending on how you define creed, but a lot of churches, uh, you know, have these creeds and they hold to these creeds. And, and it says in the apostles creed that, that he descended into hell. Um, and so it, it expands upon what is in the biblical text um, or interprets what's in the biblical text. And that formula um, has been handed out through, through history. And so, um, so I do think that, and so if you're at a church that, that you really closely follow to the apostles creed, you need to know that, that maybe for you, this is, this is actually closer, you know, to, to some doctrinal issues, then maybe we are passing it off as of, well, maybe it's not really there or not. Um, so you got to be careful yeah. with your church tradition. But what we want to get into today is, um, you know, what does scripture actually say about it and, and how to how have people thought through this. But, um, yeah. but it has been a pretty wide held stance throughout history, church history, that yeah. this happened. And so, you know, you got to You got to take that for what it is. So, yeah. Yeah. And I would also encourage people, you know, just because, it is the traditional view. Um, it doesn't mean you can't challenge it, right? Um, if you, because ultimately, our ultimate authority is not church tradition. Our ultimate authority is scripture, right? And so, um, but yeah, I, now I would say church tradition by no means is that like you know, oh, that's that's something you can just write off as not great, as not great support. I think church tradition can many times be a good support for any for uh, how a text is read but um mm-hmm. we want we want to kind of look deeper into what the scripture says and maybe even how this view even came about so um and whether we would agree with it or not uh yeah. so uh, dre I, I think there's two texts here to address uh let's start with ephesians 4 um yeah, yeah uh 
uh, Ephesians 4, and we're really going to be looking in verses uh, uh, 7 is really kind of where this whole pericope starts, and you could go through verse 11. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, uh, how about I just read that, and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. But to, e- to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he captured captives, he gave gifts to men. I should say I'm reading from the uh, NET. Uh, verse 9, now what is the meaning of he ascended except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth? The very one who descended is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. So, Dre, I, I think, you know, the main the main verse here, you know, for how, how could we argue that Jesus went to hell during the three days is found in verse 9. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what is the meaning of he ascended, except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth? So yeah. uh, you want to kick us off with um, how that verse has been translated, ways to translate that verse? Yeah. So so in the whole context of this pericope, uh, we're really looking at uh, at Paul, who is is writing a I mean, he, he's he's writing a commentary, quite frankly, on Psalm 68, 18, or at least a a possibly even another commentary on Psalm 68, 18, because there's some, there's some issues there. Um, but, but that's, that's kind of where a lot of people see the referent as. And he, and Paul says in verse nine, now, what is the meaning of this? So he's giving a quote from a source and whether that source is, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of issues there you have to work through, which makes this problem more complicated, but he's talking about an interpretation of, of an interpretation or an interpretation of what he sees. And he's expanding upon it. And he's saying, okay, what is, what are the lower, <laughs> the lower regions? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the Greek, the Greek, I would translate this, the lower parts of the earth. Um, so the net, you know, said so the lower regions, namely the earth, they're putting yeah. that in, in, a, in a certain construction and it's, that's a fair way to translate it is the way the net did, but other pe- people will translate this different. Um, and so, so rather than mm-hmm. it, as, as a, uh, you know, a genitive of apposition is what the net's doing. Um, yeah. there's, there's other ways to do it. Um, you know, uh, uh, partitive genitive, I think is another way of the earth. Um, anyways, there's, there's a lot of different things happening in the Greek and there's even textual errors that are going on there. But the real question mm-hmm. is, is okay. So Paul is reading this passage in Psalm or, or reading this passage about Psalms. And he's saying, what is the meaning of he ascended? Um, except that he also descended. So he's kind of taken the, the flip of it and saying, well, he descended to the lower regions. The question is, mm-hmm. is where are those lower regions? And um, mm-hmm. some people will say, well, those lower regions, he's he, the, you know, the lower parts of the earth, well, that's hell. Um, and so he's, right. he's, he's gone down and, and this is where Jesus went whenever he died. And those, during those three days before he was risen, uh, he went down to hell. Um, and, and then, mm-hmm. then you get all sorts of things in the early church of, you went to go within ransom theory. He went to get the keys of hell. went to go, uh, Chris's Victor, atonement, a lot of different atonement theories come to play here. Um, of what he's mm-hmm. doing in hell and, and, um, but that's, that's the thing. And then of course the apostles creed and, um, you know, that, that was at Nicaea, I believe 400. I'm, my dates are off right now, but, uh, but yeah. that's, they, they pick up on this and put it in a creed and say, yeah, this is, this is what happens. And so really it's, it's, it's gets really tied into atonement theory, um, later on in history. Um, but is that the point of what it's saying? Is that all it says is he descended into the lower parts of the earth? Um, yeah. Or the lower in in the, in, in the Greek there is there's a lot of way genitives what twenty five ways to do a genitive I think Wallace now yeah, says there's twenty six yeah. mm-hmm. um, I think he, mm-hmm. he's found a couple more he hadn't written in his book and so lots of different ways to to, um, to understand the Greek here is what I'm trying to say and that creates yeah. 
crazy yeah. issue. So that's that's the heart of this passage. Um, yeah, you mm-hmm. want to add anything to that, James? Yeah, so, I, I mean, I think you're kind of hitting on it. I, I think the big theme of the passage, uh, if you're looking at it, we are, you know, and Paul, Paul has already done this earlier in the letter, casting Christ in the position of king, right? You know, you go back to Ephesians 1, it talks about how, you know, he is seated at the right hand. He is far above every ruler, authority, power, every name that is named. All things have been put under his feet. Um, he is the fullness of him who fills all in all, right? So uh, there are there already is some, I would argue there's some royal imagery that's, that's appeared already in Ephesians. And so we come back here and um, in Psalm 68, you know, the, he's got this reference to this and this idea of, the idea of ascending, uh, uh, someone ascending and giving gifts to men or, um, you know, there's another issue issue because Psalm 68 actually says that he receives gifts from men. And so mm-hmm. th- that's what you were talking about, that this seems to be some sort of commentary on Psalm 68. Mm-hmm. But the basic idea is, is that when a king um, would ascend to a throne or when a king would uh, would capture a land or conquer, the king would take the spoils of war, take the spoils of victory, and would distribute them to his people. And so this is the idea. It's it's this this idea of Christ's kingship. And so when he comments on Psalm 68 later, now what is it that he ascended except he also descended? In other words, I think what, what Paul is getting at, what's the process by which Christ was enthroned? What was the process which he went through in order to 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 conquer what was the process by which he came to this kingly position to distribute the gifts to men? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that's kind of the theme going on. And, and then then and then as you said, there's there's really a couple ways to view this. And the traditional view has been the idea that he descended to the lower parts of the earth. And again, the lower parts of the earth, like you said in the Greek, it's very hazy. Um, that Greek phrase, it's a pretty difficult one to to figure out. Um, almost literally, it's like the part. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's kind of strange. And so, on, on top of having a text critical error, there were some words. Yeah, are a text in critical our issue. Yeah, a big mm-hmm. critical text critical issue there, um, which um, we won't we won't get into. But um, you yeah, basically have a few different positions. One is Christ did actually go into hell. The another position, um, which I think we can rule out, is the descent actually refers to the descent of the Spirit at Pentecost. In mm-hmm. other words. It's the spirit that's come and is distributing the gifts. I I have a hard. I, I think you have to do some really creative, herb, uh, a nice way to say it, really creative hermeneutics and exegesis yeah. in order to get there. Because to me, the theme in this entire passage, it's referring to Christ over and over again, and the Christ is in in verse eleven and verse ten. It's the very one who descended is also the one who ascended above all the heavens in order to fill all things. Well, we already know who the one, who that one is because Ephesians one, it's Christ, right? He's the one who ascended above all the heavens and he's the one who is filling all things. And so, um, for, for Paul to switch the referent all of a sudden to the spirit in verse nine, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and so, and then the other view, which, um, I think you and I would both, yeah, this is one I've arrived at. I think you would argue for it as well. Is the descent actually refers to um, Christ incarnation, right? It's it's the idea that 
What is it that he ascended except he also descended? In other words, for Christ to ascend back to the right hand of the Father to become the one who could distribute the gifts and through the Spirit to his people, it required the work that he would do in his incarnation. It would require that he die and that he rise again, right? And so the descension is at, to the to the lower parts of the earth. I think the that's just a, a a metaphorical or a interesting way of saying that Christ descended to the earth, um, which is lower than the heavens, right? And so, um, so yeah, I, that's my view. Uh, if you want to ask, you know, ultimately, what's my view on what this passage is getting at? What I think fits the context best, and what Paul has been trying to get at this entire letter, it's just it's simply referring to his incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Other thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, so just to kind of sum up, you know, the views. One, it's that he descended into hell. That's view one, um, which I would always want to clarify. What does hell mean there versus the hell in Revelation? You, you can't just say hell mm-hmm. is hell. So I, I think you got to be careful with, with that. It's a whole other conversation, though. But view one, descended to hell. Uh, uh, one that's kind of tacked onto that is that he just descended into the grave. You know, he, he descended into death. And so that's another kind of let, softer version yeah. of that view. Uh, three, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm just re- repeating what James said. So three would be uh, that he descended to the earth in the incarnation. So he comes in a manger at Christmas, right? And then uh, four mm-hmm. is that it's actually talking about Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down. Um, so w- ruling out, I think the last one, you know, th- there's people that want to go into a lot of intertestamental and rabbinic uses of Psalm 68, and that's how they get to, you know, Moses mm-hmm. ascend at Mount Sinai, you know, and that, that there's yeah. a lot. So there's a lot of stuff here. And then you got the internal problems. You got external things. There's been a lot of writing on this. Um, and so mm-hmm. you really can't come to a firm answer. I, I agree with James, though. I think that it's likely um, in the context. I feel like he's really talking about um, he's coming to in his humility. He's coming to the earth and it, it's it's this earthly ministry and so it's him coming down and humbling himself um i think that really works well with uh colossians which i think parallels ephesians a lot and so Mm -hmm. that's that's my preferred view but it let's say that it is death or it is some kind of you know grave you know i i don't have a problem with that you know i just i think you gotta be careful with it um you know i I wouldn't go around saying you know jesus went to hell you know because that can people could hear that a different way and if you haven't studied it and understand what that means and understand once again what do we mean by hell? Is, is hell this this pit of fire that people often refer to that Revelation speaks is coming? Or is it, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and of course, I don't want to go into the purgatory conversations either. There's a lot of things that get messy there. And so for that reason, I just try to stay away from those. That's kind of my part of why it's my preferred view, which is not the best exegetical method. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I do think in the context, I lean very much towards this is talking about Christ coming. And, you know, he's the one who comes and he's, and he's giving the gifts to the apostles and pro- like, um, you know, I, I think it's it, equip the saints for the work of ministry. I think it's very much an earthy feel, if I can say that. Uh, yeah, Ephes- yeah. Ephesians feels very earthy. Um, it feels yeah. it's the rest of the context. It doesn't really go to some of those other places. Um, and so and, and I think yeah. Ephesians was a circulatory letter, too. So I think to really pull in a lot of these intertestamental things may be maybe a stretch. Um because it's, I think this letter was meant to go out, and so I don't think he's going to be writing that specifically. And I don't think, you know, what Wallace calls exegetical gymnastics. Is he interpret? Is he giving an interpretation of an interpretation of an interpretation? Is that what Paul really means? I mean, that's just yeah, almost too yeah. much. So I think that some of yeah. these can be ruled out. But. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the overall letter is 
earthy when it talks about its descent, where it gets cosmic, so to say, is when it talks about his ascent, right? And then when it talks about his enthronement at the right hand of God, and it's cosmic in the idea of things being put under him, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, talking about his talking about his rule uh, more than anything else. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I'm with you though, Dre. You know, if someone wants to hold that this is actually the uh, the Latin term for this doctrine, uh, you know, if anybody wants to impress their friends, it is dis- the descensus ad infernos, mm-hmm. um, the idea of that Christ actually went to hell. And so if you want to interpret it that way, it's it's not an invalid interpretation. I don't think it's the best one, uh, but it's mm-hmm. not invalid either. And, you know, ultimately, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty minor issue. I mean, overall, I would say, but I, I would just. You know, as you, as you kind of, I would think, what I would encourage is don't just go around saying something like, oh, Jesus went to hell, if you haven't mm-hmm. really studied that or thought through it. Yeah, or, I guess or ready that's my to explain problem. to somebody, because in some, you know, that can, yeah. they can, yeah. they can mess people up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because what, what, what is, yeah, what does a non Christian think when you, when you say something like that? And yeah. Yeah. And, just, and, just and be, it's not what the text says. I mean, yeah. If, if, if Paul wanted to say that that's where he went, we have a word for hell. He knows how to, he knows Greek. Um, you right. know, he could have said that. And so, um, yeah. you know, so is he being poetic or, you know, what, what, what's the point of him saying the lower regions, you know, or the, mm-hmm. you know, what, you know, and even that's, you know, that phrase is not even in some of the views too. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think with all the issues together, I do think it's, it's still probably more of a stretch. I think it's the safer bet is to say it was the incarnation. So, yeah. Well, real quickly, right. James, the other issue related with all this comes from another passage. So this is so if if you feel like okay, I feel really solid on this issue now, let's just throw another uh, wrench in the in the issue. And so yeah. if you go to First Peter three um, three eighteen ish, is that right? Um, uh, yeah, I'm flipping there now. Eighteen nineteen. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. So I'm not going to read the whole pericope. I'm just going to kind of pick it up. Uh, you know. Peter's talking about. Um, he says in verse eighteen, because Christ also su- suffered once for sins. The just for the unjust to bring you to God, being put to death in the flesh by being made alive in the spirit. So atonement kind of stuff. And then it says 19 in it. Right. So you got to figure out that it is um, in which is maybe the way I'd say it, in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So this is actually, you know, this is actually maybe where people put this passage with the Ephesians. And so maybe the Ephesians isn't really strong, but then they say, well, look at Peter. And Peter says, you know, in this in this atonement kind of concept that he's talking about that he went and preached to the spirits in prison. So see, he went down to hell and preached to everybody. And now there's, then you get theories here of, of a lot of purgatory things, a lot of second chances and uh, post-mortem uh, uh, salvation. Um, and so there's a way to after death come, come to Christ. Um, and so, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot. And so this, this passage, and then you after that, it says after they were disobedient long ago, when God patiently waited, they didn't know us. And it goes into a lot of other stuff. Maybe Michael Heiser probably has some really good <laughs> concepts on, on first Peter three. Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm sure he has an opinion. So, what is what is this whole thing about James? Uh, what what is Jesus doing preaching the spirits in prison? And is that hell? And is that where he is? See here, is this proof that he did actually go to this prison and preach to spirit? And why is he preaching to spirits? You know, and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> um, number one, uh, I'll say this: whenever you come to this passage to interpret it, good luck. Uh, I think. <laughs> I think in our uh, 
I think in our um, unscripted episode, one of the questions we asked was, what is, what is one of the most difficult passages mm. um, in scripture for you to interpret? And this is one of the ones I brought up because I think it's just, so I, I want to dive in a little bit into the background behind this passage. What is, what is Peter referencing? And then we'll maybe try to go in to maybe my best guess as what he's getting at. But again, it is very much my best guess um, because Peter kind of just brings this up and he doesn't elaborate, right? In other words, he says, in, again, our, our main verse here is verse 19, in it, or I would say in which, I, I think the literal Greek is, you know, you've got a relative pronoun there. I would probably mm-hmm. say in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison after they were disobedient long ago when God patiently waited in the days of Noah as an ark was being constructed in the ark of few that is eight souls were delivered through water. Okay. So the tradition behind this is found in Genesis six originally, and it's expounded upon in first Enoch, specifically a section of a book, the first part of the book, which we call the book of watchers. Um, mm-hmm. So again, if you go back to Genesis six, Genesis six starts with this idea that the, the sons of God having relationship with the daughters of men, and then they produce these off offspring. We know them as the Nephilim, these giant, this giant race, these superhumans, so to say, right? This is kind of how Genesis six describes it. Um, and so this is kind of Genesis six, and it's found right at the beginning of the chapter. Well, then you go to the first Enoch, and the way that the way that uh, early the Second Temple Judaism is interpreting Genesis six. Not only do you find this actually in First Enoch, but you kind of you find this a little bit in the Book of Jubilees as well. Um, so it's referring to who are these spirits in prison. So the story is found in First Enoch that there are these two angels that end up leading a group of angels out of heaven. Uh, the two angels are, if I'm getting this right, Azael and Shemihaza. And they are these angels, and they lead these two groups to commit these acts against God amongst men. One of them, and, and again, I, I can't remember which one led which group, but one of them leads a group of the angels to have inappropriate relationships with humanity. In other words, you know, sexual relationships with humanity, and they produce these offspring, which Enoch, again, describes as these giants, describes mm-hmm. as these these um these abominations these these creatures that caused havoc amongst the earth um and then you've got this other group of angels who their sin is they lead they teach men to make weapons um weapons of warfare something that they were not supposed to be teaching mankind but they teach them to do it um then so the way enoch describes the story is the flood is then sent upon the earth primarily not just because the corruption of humanity but Enoch describes the corruption of earth on earth is a result of what the these groups of angels did amongst men right and so God sends the flood to wipe out this race of giants to to wipe out to wipe out the earth because the earth has been so corrupted by what went on through these uh, through the work of these angels. So the spirits in prison, it also talks about the spirits of the giants, the spirit mm-hmm. of these offspring are then put in prison, um, uh, that God has somehow imprisoned them. Uh, it could even be referring to these angels who have rebelled. Um, Enoch also describes them as being prison, imprisoned into the lower parts of the earth. 
Um, and there's a whole bunch of cosmology going on in First Enoch and describing all this. Um, a lot of vivid imagery. But this is the general, kind of the general tradition behind this. So, so it's important to know that before you get to First Peter, because I, I think that's really the tradition he's referencing. And, and, and my best guess is somehow this tradition now is also in the early church and it's somehow tied to Christ's work. And the problem is, is Peter doesn't really elaborate how, right? That's the biggest problem is Peter brings it up and then he never really explains himself. Um, now, I would say he maybe doesn't explain himself, maybe because he just assumes his audience that will receive this letter knows what he's talking about. Um, so, uh, Dre, should I, you know, anything you want to add before we maybe get into our best guess of what this means? Yeah, I, I, I would say, too, is, is um, you know, the reason because I think the argument someone could say is, well, all that stuff, you know, how, how do we know that that not a lot of, you know, eisegeting into the text? And I might agree there's, a, you know, whenever you're looking at these extra testamental things, there's a whole other hermeneutic there. But the one of the things is interesting about when Peter's talking here is that that a lot of scholars and I think I agree that this is he's using a piece of poetry or some kind of a hymnic thing as he's talking in this area. And so mm-hmm. whatever he's referring to um, in this, you know, and, and it's it's maybe part of a. It's something that they that the readers would have known. I, I think I think that needs to be stated. Even though we may not for sure understand exactly what's happening here in First Peter, um, I do think you got to be clear and say, you know, whatever whatever he is, it, this is this is very much poetic. This is something that that was common that that people um, were were believing that this is something that that the people were uh, you know First Peter's to the to the diaspora that this is, these are these are things that they believed and these are things that they understood. And so whenever he references this, even though it's rather quickly. Um, they get it. And so was this, a, mm-hmm. and then you got to ask, well, was, was the Enoch story, is this one that they would have held to? And no, I mean, there's all sorts of things and really there's mm-hmm. thousands and there's so much research done on this because it's very hard. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think, I don't, I don't think you have to miss the point of, of in the context of the pericope, like you, you understand that. I, I think you, if you get so caught up on verse 19, that's, you know, you, you miss 18 um, and 18, yeah. you know, you mm-hmm. can't do that. And so even though he kind of yeah. throws us in there, um, you know, I think it. I think it probably meant something, and just because you you may feel like, oh, that's a lot of information, I don't understand. Um, I think you get mm-hmm. the, the gist of it, and you know, there is this right after you get into the days of Noah, and so uh, the Nephilim or the Nephilim, however you want to say that, and and you get into all these other different things. So he's making an argument based on the past, and, and these are Jewish stories and Jewish thoughts. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, that's a long way of saying. This is really complicated for us, but they probably got it really quick. <laughs> they probably yeah, understood. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I agree. So, I mean, should we get into what is our best guess and what this means? Yeah. Go for it. Go with your best guess. All right. So, my best guess on what this means, and Dre, it's funny. You and I were talking about this scene before we came on. And, you know, so I'm just going to say, again, I'm going to clarify this is. I mean, it's a bit of a guess. I mean, I hope to say it's a bit of an informed guess based mm-hmm. on studies of the background that this is referring to and maybe fits best within the context. Again, Peter's main point is talking about Christ, again, verse 18, the fact that he is the one who suffered, he put to death, he was put to death, and he was made alive in the spirit, right? Um, and really his position as the Lord, again, if you actually go down to verse number um 
22, after it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he went into heaven, who went to heaven and is at the right hand of God, talking about Christ's position, with angels and authorities and powers subject to him. Again, mm-hmm. so it's this idea of Christ's death, resurrection, his subsequent lordship, and all these angels and these supposed spirits in prison, uh, you know, whoever it's referring to, they mm-hmm. are under the lordship of Christ, right? So ultimately, the best guess I can think what he's saying, I don't think it's referring to somehow he went um, between his death and resurrection and like somehow went into hell and preached to these to spirits again the spirits in prison i mean uh, where where in the world is even even is this is another complicated question uh, my, mm-hmm. my best guess is if you look actually at the tradition of enoch if you go later in the book you know there's there's multiple references to this one um it's re- he's referred to either as the anointed one he's referred to as the chosen one um, he's also referred to as the son of man a few times, right? Yeah. So there's this figure in Enoch. Um, the righteous one is another way he's referred to. Uh, this idea of one that God is going to exalt above everything, above all the spirits, above all the angels. And and multiple times it talks about this person even being seated up there, up in the heavenlies and all the angels worshiping him and the the wicked and the unrighteous in the, you know, being judged before him. It talks about he, this, this figure will execute judgment. This figure will also vindicate the holy ones of God. Um, so my, so with all that said, uh, my best guess is, is Jesus is this person. Um, maybe not exactly the way Enoch describes him, but in the tradition, this idea of Jesus takes the position as the anointed one of God, the Messiah, the chosen one. It, it, he is the one that executes judgment. He is the one who rules over all things. He is God's um, vice regent, so to say. And um, and so basically this passage, the idea of what, because the other thing you got to ask is what did he preach to the spirits in prison? Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, I, and we don't really know. So my best guess is, is that his resurrect, his death and resurrection vindicated Christ as this anointed one vindicated his identity as the one who has authority to, to exercise rule over all things, to vindicate righteous, to bring judgment upon the wicked. And in fact, bring judgment upon these spirits in prison. In other words, they are accountable to him. They face judgment from him, but this happens as a result of his death and his resurrection, not like necessarily something in between. So that's my best guess. Now I can, you know, I, you know, I, I have a right to change my mind on that. I would <laughs> definitely say because this passage is very difficult, but that's probably my best guess at what this passage is getting at. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, it's a good best guess. You know, where I'm, I, I, I don't know if I have a solid, solid answer, but I, I will say, you know, the common views, you know, we've kind of hit on them, you know, Christ's announcement of his victory. I, th- I think there's, I think there's a, a close tie with, uh, is it Corinthians' anthem? You know, so going out, so, so mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in this idea of what Christ has done. So you could get this, this thing that's, it's just basically this announcement over all of the cosmos, right? That, that, mm-hmm. that Christ, so that, that's one way. And I, I, I've held that one for a long time, um, you know, but, but, but there are, if you look at the, the thing, there, there's a lot of, uh, temporal indicators um, in 20 and 20 mm-hmm. being, and so um, you know looking at those maybe maybe it is you know cr- you know Christ preaching of repentance 
you know, maybe maybe the whole idea is like this idea of repentance is is this preaching that that goes out into a past. Mm-hmm. Se- I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's that's a hard hard thing, um, <laughs> dude. It's this is a yeah. tricky path. I will say this: in the middle of all of this, <laughs> this is this comes in a thing of of the idea that suffering is going to come, and that there have been people that have been persecuted for the faith. Mm-hmm. I think ever since Abel, I think that's the point Peter's making that, that there's always been people who have suffered for Christ and that there's going to, and then resurrection changes everything. And if the resurrection isn't true, then everything's just, this gone. And so he's saying the re- mm-hmm. this resurrection is such a big deal and it's, and it, it becomes known. So I do think the Anthem view, I think does hold a lot of weight, no matter which way you go with it. Um, you know, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if, I don't know if I go into all the inner, you know, I, I, I tend to take, you know, I tend to take the scripture as what it says. And so what's, what's it saying in its context? And so I don't know if I would go into, are there all these intertestamental stories alongside it? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I still don't know where I'm at on that, but I do think that this is encouraging. The whole point of this passage is to encourage Christians that even in the midst of suffering, um, that, that, that God, God wins and that the resurrection is there and they can be confident in this resurrection. Um, And everybody who identifies in that um, will be saved just as Noah was saved. Um, and so yeah. maybe, maybe that's the message that, that began at Noah and goes all the way through that, 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 that there is. Cause, cause you know, Noah, the resurrection and Noah, Noah was, was saved and, and who everyone else perishes and the saved people say, so I think mm-hmm. that's referred to other times in, in the, in, in, uh, the new Testament. And so I think that's where I would lean towards, but yeah, there's, yeah. there's a thousand on it. So go study it for yourself. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where I'm taking it. And I want to look at its context. And so whatever this was meant, it's meant to encourage people that in the midst of suffering, that there's salvation. So ever since, even in yeah. Noah's day, there was a lot of suffering in Noah's day and there's this message that, that God has made it all right. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I'll add on to that. This is even the theme of a lot of second temple literature, like Enoch and some of these others. Uh, mm. A lot of it's trying to explain away the suffering that even the Jewish people were experiencing mm. and explains the way as there's a, there's a war going on in the spiritual realms, right? Yeah. That, it's bigger than just what's going on in humanity. There is spiritual, there is spirit, spiritual unrest. And like you said, the ultimate goal is that one day that, that Christ, number one, his position presently at, at the right hand of the father vindicates to us that one day, this full realization of the judgment of the wicked and the vindication of the righteous will be realized. In other words, salvation is coming. And um, one day all things will be made new. And so ultimately, like you said, I think Peter is pointing the people of this time who are experiencing persecution towards the hope of that, hey, one day Christ will make all things right. And um, and that's, you know, ultimately that's, you know, as we come up on Easter, the hope of the resurrection is that, is that one day that that Christ, number one, has inaugurated a new age in which, you know, we see that the hope of our future resurrection and and we look at Christ. The result of his resurrection being that he is at the right hand of the father and that he is the one who has authority and will one day bring about new creation. will make all things right again. And uh, that's the hope we, we get to reflect on uh, during this time. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, uh, James, do we want to wrap it up or do you want to go one more question since it's a uh, quarantine and people have more time on their hands? What do you want to uh, do? Um, I think we probably should wrap it up because I know the other question you could ask, and it could take us quite a while to uh, get to that question. To, we'll, we'll save to it for next week. That question. We'll save yeah, it for next yeah, week. Yeah, we'll save that? that one. Yeah, let's do that. So. All right, that should that should build the anticipation. So if you want to know what we're talking about, join us next week for that. James, yeah. go ahead and close us out. <laughs> yeah. Again, thank you all for taking time out of your week to 
listen to our conversation. Uh, we know that was some pretty heavy stuff. A couple passages that were uh, pretty are pretty difficult and really need a lot of explanation. Uh, if you have any further questions um, on a little bit of what we talked about or just another question on another subject, feel free to contact us. You can do that in a couple ways. You can contact us on Facebook. Uh, follow our Good Theological Thursday page, like it, follow it. Uh, you can message us through there and we will respond to you as quickly as we can. And then also you can email us at goodtheologicalthursday at gmail.com. Uh, again, if you are listening to the podcast and you have not rated or reviewed it, uh, we encourage you give us a rating. If, uh, maybe with any extra time you have during, during this quarantine, write us a little review. Uh, we would very much appreciate that. And uh, if you think a friend would benefit uh, from this podcast at all, uh, uh, we would encourage you to show it to a friend. Um, Dre, close us out. Awesome. Hey, once again, thanks for being uh, with us this week. And we do hope that you have a great uh, Easter weekend, um, even though we're in the midst of all of this. Uh, what a wonderful uh, message that we're reminded about, even in these passages today, that our hope is, is, is in a future where there is no more sickness, there is no more death. And that what Christ mm. did all those years ago made that possible. And so we do hope that you mm. have a good time reflecting on those truths, um, these truths this weekend. And until then, we hope you have a good Theological Thursday. See ya. See ya.